If you are constantly worrying about measuring up to others or turning down invites to avoid interacting with people you believe are better than you, chances are you are struggling with inferiority. But when those thoughts of inferiority begin to creep into our spiritual life, when we begin to think that we have precious little to contribute to God's work in the world, we are seriously off track. And how can we get back on track? How can you develop a healthy spiritual self-image? You can start by listening in on Vicki Hitzkiss, Nathan Norman, and Kent Edwards as they relearn the lesson Jesus taught his disciples in Mark chapter 9. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 32, as we join their discussion. I read an article the other day in which they named the 10 greatest athletes of all time. Was I on that? <laughs> uh, they must have made a mistake, Vicki. They, uh, they left your name off. But it did make me think, I mean, what an arrogant title. I mean, how could they possibly look back through all of world history and name all the athletes and oh, compare them? True. Right. Well, and, and compare them cross-discipline, right? Like the, right. the best badminton player in the world, the best bocce player in the world versus the best runner. I, I don't know if that's equal. I, I, don't, I don't know how you do that. It seems like an impossible title. I think it is an impossible title. But if you think of some of the greatest athletes that you're aware of, at least, what would some of those names be? Oh, Michael Jordan comes to yeah, the top of the Michael list. Yeah, I Michael Jordan up there. Sure, yeah. he's basketball. He's a legend. Yep. You have to put LeBron James because there's that current uh, concern about who's better. <laughs> well, and as a, someone who lives in Lakerland, I'd appreciate that. You'd have to put some Dallas Cowboys on it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever their names are. Outside of America, they think you're really talking about Cowboys, just so you know that. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think of like uh, David Beckham, right? If you're looking at the soccer world. Mm-hmm. Maybe Michael Phelps, oh, Simone absolutely. Biles, uh, Serena Williams. Um, everyone somewhere or other comes up with Muhammad Ali and uh, Tiger Woods, right? I mean, not today, but he was one of the greatest ever. Uh, we enjoy watching those kind of professional athletes at work. They're just outstanding. But have you ever been depressed at the same time watching Serena Williams play tennis? <laughs> Well, no, because she's way too good. But but I, I did have a similar experience yesterday. My uh, my car needed some work done. And so I could have gotten a ride from the auto shop to the to the office. But I said, you know what? It's, it's been nice. It's unseasonably warm here. I'll, I'll throw my bike on the back of the car and I'll ride my bike, you know, the five miles right. into the office. And it, it's really hilly and everything, you know, so I made it and I didn't get run over. Uh, <laughs> and it was good. And then I, I made my way back once the car was done and, and it was kind of a pleasant, fun experience, good but it was a lot you. of work. It was, it was hard. And I was telling my wife about it and I said, yeah, man, those Hills, they kill you, right? The things in your car where you're going up, it's slight a hill. You don't even think about it in your car, but on the bike, it's like, oh no, this is a hill. <gasps> right. And you just saw, oh, I thought it was flat. And she says, yeah, you know, it reminds me when we were watching the Olympics and you're watching these cyclists going up Mount Fuji for over an hour. 
<laughs> and so over here i'm like yeah I, I went five miles uphill both ways it was great you know oh. she's like yeah they went up mount fuji for an hour yeah so i just felt wholly inadequate she was not impressed <laughs> i uh, faced that kind of experience uh, a number of years ago my father was a really good hockey player growing up in canada hockey's the sport a real sport um oh. And uh, so he, you know, toyed with entering the NHL. He was so good. Um, wow. So growing up as a kid, you know, I tried to play hockey because he was a hockey player and it's what you do in Canada. And, um, and I enjoyed it. Problem was I wasn't very good at it. But one day my, uh, my father decided to, he had permission while our team was having a practice to come on the ice. And, you know, here's a guy who hadn't been on the ice for 20 years. He hadn't played for forever. He pulled the skates out of the basement. They looked like the kind of things you hang up on the wall of a restaurant. You know, he just kind of worked, looked around, picked up any old hockey stick that he could find, and he comes out on the ice. Meanwhile, I'm there in all my pads and equipment. I'm probably about, what, 16 years old. If, if I ever had a prime, that was it. He played right wing, and I played defense, left defense, which means that if a right winger comes down on the goal, it's my job as left defense to engage him and stop him from scoring. So he says, yeah, I'll come down on you. And I'm thinking, oh, here's the old man. What do you do with a guy like this? He's way past his prime. What am I going to do? <laughs> and he's coming down on me, and I start backing up as I'm supposed to do and, and watching him. And, you know, the old guy, he just lost the puck off his stick. Went back into his skates, and he's looking down and looks like he's fumbling around. And I'm like, this is my chance. I'm just going to reach out and poke check him so he can't uh, come down on me, and I'll just stop him right at the blue line. I know my dad always told me, you never do that as a defenseman, but I did. And I reached out to do that. And then I realized too late, he was just toying with me. The skates <laughs> said, went yeah. back and forth. He was, you know, uh, stick handling the puck between his skates. He uh, dipped one shoulder and went the opposite direction. He went around me like I wasn't there. And he took a stick that he'd never used before and picked the corner of the net in the top right end. And I look like an absolute idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my prime. He's in his past. And he makes me like, I'm like, there goes my NHL career. I mean, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never felt so stupid uh, in my life. As I watched his skill, it made me feel inferior. That was wasn't his goal. But I mean, I just realized I'm just not in his league. I was thinking of that the other day when I was reading this passage that we're going to be discussing in Mark chapter 9. I meant, just think of how the disciples must have felt doing ministry with Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, just, <laughs> just think. Well, that's some competition. <laughs> you talk about competition. So, I mean, just think of what we've seen in Mark so far. What has Jesus done so far in Mark? That's defeated Satan in the wilderness. Oh, so no other man has ever done that, right? No. So Jesus did what no other human has ever done before. Um, and he's, he's a man, so uh, that's pretty impressive. What else? Well, they lowered the uh, paraplegic guy down, and he healed him. And he forgave his sins. I mean, a double whammy miracle. Yep. Yep. What else? He controlled weather patterns, right? He calmed the sea. We still yep. can't do that today with all of our technology. No, we're not even good at predicting, let alone controlling. Uh, yeah, tell um, about it. And then you, you had a name for this guy, but he, he was he was indwelt with thousands of demons. And yep. uh, 
he drove he drove the, all this all those de- legion he drove all those demons into the sea yeah two thousand of them run for their Amazing. lives to escape his presence into the sea Je- jesus not- beat an army of demons an army <laughs> single-handedly mm-hmm. deviled ham is what you called it yeah yep yep he also walked on water he ra- he raised a girl from the dead yep and remember last week in the early part of chapter nine, he goes up to the mountain and does what? Is that when he fed the four and 5,000 nope. from two little lunches? I mean, he did that, but in the beginning of chapter nine, goes up the mountain and? He's transformed, he's transfigured. He reveals his true nature. Oh, oh yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so yeah, not many of us have ever pulled that off. Um, <laughs> So how intimidating would it be for the disciples or 12 ordinary men to follow a guy like that around who's doing ministry? And by the way, they're being trained to do ministry. Uh, Yeah, sure. I'm going to follow in this guy's footsteps. But in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, it gets worse. Uh, Vicki, tell us what happens next in verses 14 and 15. It, It says, when they came to the other disciples. What does that mean? Well, because in the transfiguration, there were Peter, James, and John who were up with oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, okay, okay. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Okay. So, Nathan, question for you. When's the last time people were overwhelmed with wonder when you walked into the room? Yeah, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, the only time that ever happens is when my kids were young and happy to see me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then our kids grow up and then they get more perspective and they're no longer overwhelmed with wonder when we walk in the room. (laughs) Oh, he's here. (laughs) That guy. So uh, the people, when when they came, they were overwhelmed with Jesus, right? Yeah. I mean, just, wow, this is amazing. They've heard his reputation. They know who he is. I mean, this is the man. This is the guy. And then they um, meet the 12 disciples. So, you know, everyone's crowding around Jesus, and a couple of people at the edge of the crowd come up to the disciples, and they say, uh, so, uh, by the way, who are you? Yeah, not overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and their answer? Well, um, um, I used to be a fisherman. <laughs> oh, <laughs> had a pretty average job. Yeah. That, you know, this is very, this, this is dredging up some memories, Kent. I, you know, the first few years that we would go to Vietnam together with crosstalk, <laughs> and everybody wants to talk to Dr. Edwards, and nobody wants to talk to me. And here, like, I'm, I'm 5'10, so I'm not minuscule, but I'm not, you know, super tall. The one time I go to a country where I could, like, feel tall, <laughs> I'm always walking around you, who's like six foot, you know, 11 almost, it seems. <laughs> so no one's like, oh, look at that, you know, fairly tall American. There. No, they're like, look at the giant that's walking around, you know. <laughs> no one's running up to take pictures with me. They want to take pictures with the guy who's literally twice their height. <laughs> yeah, I know what the disciples feel like. <laughs> Uh, well, sorry about that. I, um, uh, I noticed you just said people notice my height, not my good looks, but I'll, you know, we'll move on. Um, but to make matters worse, as the people are coming around and they're noticing Jesus and not them, Jesus asked the crowd, 
he comes to them. He says, you were arguing before I got here. What were you arguing about? And they said, they answered him in verses 17 and 18. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Ooh. Oh, How does man. that end? I asked the disciples to do a miracle and? But no, they could not. Oh, we want you, Jesus, because they failed. Can't. Yeah. They are inadequate. We want you, not them. <laughs> Imagine how they feel. And then, what do you think the crowd was saying to the nine disciples who were not in witness to the transfiguration? Boo, you're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants you. Go get. Go back to your fishing. Uh, you're on the practice squad. Uh, what are you doing in the game? I hope you're better at fishing than this. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus' response was priceless. What does he say next? He says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. <laughs> ooh, ooh. How do you think the disciples felt then? That, that's a dig on everyone, right? All the, the people complaining about the disciples, the disciples themselves. And, and Jesus says, I'm not going to be here forever. So what are you going to do after that? I just totally deflated. Just, yeah. I'm no good. I can't do this. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but it gets even worse <laughs> because they brought, <laughs> they brought the, the demon-possessed man to Jesus in verse 20. And what happened then? Well, it's pretty amazing what happened. It says they brought him to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. That's pretty gutsy, I think, for the demon to do that. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. So there's an immediate action, but the healing was not instantaneous. So Jesus asked the father for clarifying details. He says, how long has he been like this? And the answer is pretty scary. He says from childhood, yeah. it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Can you imagine being the father? But if I you know. can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Because so Jesus answers, if you can. Everything <laughs> is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I have quoted that so many times. That verse, it, it is one of the most honest verses, honest prayers in the Bible, isn't, isn't it? it? Isn't it, though? I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. I want to believe. Help me to believe. Right? It's just so, I pray Thank that you. often. I pray it often. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Whoa. And the spirit, I know, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently. Man, that's a gutsy demon. And came <laughs> out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. Whoa. Whoa. Now that's drama, right? Oh. -ho. That would be a killer scene in a movie about Jesus, uh, to see him display that kind of power. What did he say to 
Jesus say to the Father again, back in verse 23, Vicki? What did he say? Oh, 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 well, he said to the Father, if you can, the Father had just said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And so Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. So my question is, who is he talking to? The Father. He's obviously talking to the Father, right? Mm -hmm. But who is he also talking to? Everybody that can hear, obviously, the disciples are listening. Yeah, I think he's. This is a this is a backhand comment to the disciples, right? Yeah, I think he's saying, of course, it's possible to everyone who believes and who was unable to get rid of the evil spirit. The, the disciples. Think about, do you feel inferior now? I mean, if you're the disciples, man, at least the man had the right, uh, the ability to call out, uh, help me with my unbelief. Well, you'd, you'd wonder that. I mean, because it goes on, and, and after Jesus had gone indoors, the, the disciples asked him privately. They said, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So, well, there's more to it maybe then than just, I mean, they obviously thought they could. They believed they could. They had faith. They wondered, why, why can't we do it? And Jesus is explaining to them. He says, no, it does take belief. It also takes prayer. He tells them here what they could have done if only they had prayed. Which says, he says, this could only happen by prayer. So what does that mean? Jesus had done what they had not done. He had prayed. Right? I, I don't remember that. Did he pray first? Well, he's saying that it didn't happen at first. So it's implied when he says that this can only come out by prayer, that Jesus had demonstrated prayer, and in his prayer, that gave him the ability to do what they could not. Yes, it took belief on behalf of the Father, but for the disciples to have accomplished this, they needed to be involved in prayer. This kind can only come out by prayer. Now, this is interesting because that means the secret behind Jesus' ministry, all these amazing things that he did, all these amazing things was not done by Jesus' personal power. He didn't use any personal power. In fact, I think that's the whole point of Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and following. Remember that, Nathan? Yeah, talking about Christ, Paul said, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So yes, Jesus was God, but he was fully human. So he didn't come to earth like a Marvel superhero like Thor, who comes down with all this semi-god-like power, who can do things because of where he's come from. Jesus came as a person, laid aside his personal power, and became fully human. So how did was Jesus able to do miracles? How, what was the secret behind his powerful ministry? Well, he, he did have that power, but he tapped, he tapped into it through his relationship with God. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it wasn't actually his power. He was accessing the power of the Holy Spirit when he did that. A good metaphor I'd heard a few years ago, it's kind of like a three-legged race, right? You take the fastest man in the world 
and you put him in a three-legged race with like a fat little asthmatic 10-year-old, <laughs> right? The fastest runner in the world still has all the attributes of being the fastest runner in the world, but he's now intentionally limited himself to as fast as that asthmatic 10-year-old can run. I thought that was a good word image of what happened. And then, uh-huh. and then that makes sense. Okay, so now this is what Jesus has done to himself. He's limited himself by putting on human flesh, and now he needs to rely on the Spirit, just like we need to rely on the Spirit. Right. So his character, of course, of course, still God. I mean, no question, he was holy as, as God is holy. He didn't lay aside his character, but he laid aside his divine attributes, his power. How was Jesus able to do his miracles? What was the secret behind his powerful ministry? Well, I think we got a glimpse of that, a hint of it, in Mark chapter 1, in verses 9 and 10. Do you remember that, Vicki? Well, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw, I, I love this words. just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So Jesus' power came from the Holy Spirit who descended on him at his baptism and never left. The fact that God the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to do miracles was evidence that he had the approval of God. But his personal power, the power he demonstrated in all those wonderful miracles, came from the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus was telling his disciples was that the power of the Holy Spirit is not used exclusively by Jesus. You get that? The power that he had is available to them. It's available to all of us. The disciples failed to get rid of the demon because they were relying on their own abilities, strength, and power, not God's. That's why Jesus sighed. How long do I need to put up with you? Because what they failed to realize is that they had access to the same power that Jesus did, if only they would ask. Friends, what Jesus is telling us here is that what we need to do is not rely on our own strength and our own ability, but God's. Does that make sense? Well, I don't know. Nathan and I can raise people from the dead. If it's within God's will. I think there's a disconnect here. The disciples obviously had faith because they said to Jesus, how come we can't do this? I mean, they're baffled. Why can't we do this? And yeah. Jesus seems to change the rules. He goes, oh, well, it's not It's not faith. It's, it's prayer. Right. So I think as I look at this text, what's happening is they had faith in Jesus. They saw what Jesus had done, and they said, well, if we do what we saw Jesus do, then we'll have the same results that he had. And how come that didn't happen? And Jesus says, no, no, it's not what you saw, it's what you didn't see. What you didn't see is that the power that I have actually comes from the Father. So it's through prayer, it's through intimacy with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that's where the power comes from. That's why I was able to do it, and that's why you could not. Hmm. So, so you're saying it's it's not it's not believing in the actions. It's it's putting putting your trust in, in God. In the power of God. Ah. Lord, if this okay. is your will, will you give me 
your power to help me accomplish your purpose. And that's what Jesus said. That's the, that is how he was able to do what they could not do. It's kind of like if I had a cordless screwdriver, right? And, uh, and my son sees me use the cordless screwdriver to screw in and screw out screws. And I take the battery out and he comes up and says, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do what dad did. And he's, he's trying to do the same thing, but it's not working because he doesn't have the power source in it. Right. So he's got to, he's got to put the battery in to make the, the screwdriver go. And, and I think oftentimes that's what we do. We, we like go through the same motions or we say the things and it's not working. Well, we, we didn't start off with prayer and say, okay, God, you know, I, I need you to empower this ministry you've called me to. I, I need to confront this person. I need to have this hard conversation. And I have to rely on you f- to do it because I will mm-hmm. mess it up and I can't do it on my own. <laughs> That's why Jesus can say to his disciples and to us, you can accomplish great things as I have accomplished great things because you have access to the same resources I have. You have access through prayer to the resources of the Holy Spirit. God gives us his strength to do his ministry. That's why in Matthew 17, we read that the disciples came to Jesus in private and they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And he said, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, what I think the disciples thought, the ministry could only move forward because Jesus was with them. Yes, he was setting the example. Yes, he was teaching them and training them. But the power that Jesus had is power that's available to all of his followers because it comes to us through his Holy Spirit. I mean, just look at the difference the Holy Spirit made in Acts chapter 2. Ordinary people were transformed to be able to do extraordinary ministry in the power of the Spirit, not in their own. Christ is the foundation of the church, but he uses us in the power of the Spirit to form the bricks that build his church. And our task is not just to sit back and watch Jesus work, but to follow his example and to harness the Holy Spirit he has given us to aggressively advance the cause of Christ. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And frankly, I think that's why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Well, Vicki, would you read that for us? The challenge he gives to this young pastor, who I'm sure was intimidated not only by what Jesus had done, by what Paul has accomplished. He says to Timothy, what? For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. All too often, I think we are handcuffed by feelings of inferiority. We read the Bible and say that could never happen through us. We look around at history and look at the great heroes of the faith and say we could never do that. What we fail to realize is that the same God that empowered the heroes of the past is available to empower us to accomplish his task. Let's go forward with boldness, knowing that the power that we need 
is available through the Holy Spirit to us. It's important that we understand that we, you and I, have access to the same power as Jesus and his disciples had. That's important because today we are charged with carrying out Christ's ministry and we have everything we need to do it through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue to discover what greatness is as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. Be sure to join us.